If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter one verses six through seven. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> There are times when uh, I'm trying to find an illustration for a sermon that sometimes is kind of difficult because you try to find a story that's taking place, uh, a true life story that's taking place in the community or around the world somewhere that tries to bring the lesson home and make it a little more easy to understand or try to make clear what I'm trying to say. But when I talk about this particular subject, suffering, you don't have to look very far for illustrations. There are illustrations all over. You can go to the, through the community. You can see people that have been killed. Um, you see people that uh, are suffering through illnesses. We see people that are suffering because of family problems and difficulties that they're having in those situations. Then we see the problems that people face because of terrorism and things of that nature. And then, as we have seen recently, you know, the pandemic and those that have lost loved ones, I'm sure... All those families are suffering. And so we see opportunities that we can present a lesson. And we ask the question, why does God allow suffering? Why does it have to happen? Why does suffering... Or how can suffering bring us closer to God? And where is God through all of these things that are taking place? If you've ever lost a loved one, that's a question that sometimes people have. Where's God? Why did God allow this to take place? Especially if it's something that's brought about because of someone else's uh, evil doings. People want to know why. Why God didn't stop it. And I remember some of the terrorist things that have taken place. People wonder why in the planning stages, why didn't God intervene? Why didn't He do something about it? And I think that we can understand why He doesn't. He's made us all free moral agents. We have choices that we can make in this life. And some choose to follow evil, while some choose to follow good. But why is it that good people suffer? Why does God allow that to take place? I believe that that's a question that people have asked since the beginning of time. But there was an individual that I read who answered the question, and I think he did a good job. So I wanted to use the points that he made because what had taken place was his wife had been involved in an accident. She had a broken arm, broken ribs, broken back, a broken pelvis, broken leg, and over 200 uh, fractures in her skull. And she was in ICU for a month. And then she was in rehabilitation for a year. It took a long time for her to recover. But the man said that he learned a great deal. And I think it's lessons that if you've been through difficult situations, perhaps you know exactly what he's going to be talking about. And I want to remind us today that suffering is something that we go through and it can make us better or it can make us worse. But the choice is ours. As we've seen in 1 Peter chapter 1, 
We are tried like fire. And unfortunately, I think that sometimes when we read those things, we talk about temptation and we, we look at it as tempted to do evil. And we really remove it from the situations that sometimes cause us to doubt. To doubt God. That when things happen in our lives, when we lose our health, we start to ask God, where are you? And sometimes the temptation is to give up during that period of time and turn our back on God. What we have to remember is God's always with us. He cares about us. And He will help us through these situations if we will allow Him to do so. So what can we learn? I want you to remember the individual whose wife was involved in that accident. First of all, one of the things that we can learn is that suffering keeps this world from becoming too attractive to us. I remember years ago when we were driving, we were going to Yellowstone to visit the attractions out there, the uh, the the park, uh, national park that's there. And as we drove across there through South Dakota and different states, if you've ever driven through there, you realize that there's a lot of nothing. I mean, we're talking barren land. And I remember saying a couple of times to my wife, could you imagine coming across here in a wagon? With just everything in your wagon and you're going. I wonder how many husbands got beat to death because of that. Because I thought when you got we got to we got to Yellowstone and you see these spots where steam's coming up out of the ground. I wonder how many people just couldn't take it. But then I also heard a comedian one time, and I don't remember his punchline, but I think he made a point. That as you drive across those places, you, you, there's a lot of barren wasteland, but then you come to a spot and you can see it off in the distance. There's green grass and, and buildings and houses and, and, and settlements. And I remember the point that he made was that people are traveling across there and those people settled there because that's where the wheels fell off their wagon. And I thought that that's really like us sometimes. That we're traveling through this world, but too many of us as Christians have allowed the wheels to fall off of our wagon and we've settled in this world. And we love this world and we want to stay here. And if it wasn't for suffering, we would want to stay here forever. But I believe that one of the things that we can learn is that suffering keeps us, or keeps this world from becoming too attractive for us to stay. And so the Bible tells us that we are pilgrims. And I looked that word up, and you know what a pilgrim is? is a person who travels or journeys to a sacred place. Now, I want you to think about that because we sing songs about we are strangers here in this land and we're pilgrims, aren't we? Aren't we looking for a better place, that sacred place, that heavenly home that we're, we're looking for? And that we're just passing through this area. This wasteland that we're in isn't our home. We're not going to stay here. We're looking for a better place. And the Bible gives us the description in Revelation 21 and verse 4 that's this unbelievable place. When you think about no death, no pain, no sorrow, no separation, none of those things are going to take place. And that God's going to wipe away all the tears from our eyes. What a joyous place that we look for. But how many of us have allowed the wheels to fall off of our wagon 
And we've decided to stay here. You see, this world is not our home. Look at what the Bible teaches us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. In Hebrews chapter 13, and verse 14. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Are we pilgrims? Are we looking for that city? Are we uh, uh, traveling through this world? Or have we settled down? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. Brethren, our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven now. When we obey the gospel, when we become a Christian, our citizenship is there. And I ask you, is that where your goal is? Or does this world look too attractive? You see, we look at someone like Demas and we can say things about him, about how he turned, or turned away from Paul and helping Paul. Why? What did Paul say? Because he loved this world. How many people have turned their back on God because they love this world? How many people have used this opportunity to take a vacation from God? To turn away from God? To not really think about Him because, hey, we can't assemble. We're not supposed to be together. We're not supposed to do this. How many people are still doing on Sunday what they're supposed to do. I don't know. But I wonder. If there was no suffering in this world, no one would want to leave this temporary world. No one would desire that eternal home and therefore prepare themselves for it. But the affairs of this life are so ordered that this world soon loses its attraction. Most young people want to live forever, want to live a long life. That's understandable. But by the time someone reaches that three score and ten, they begin to desire something better. And that better place is heaven. How many of us are longing for that place like we should? Second point that he made was suffering can bring out our best. When we suffer, we see things in a different perspective. And certainly when things are are happening in our lives, when we're troubled, we see people that come to the rescue, people that come to help us. And it brings out the best in people. And sometimes it can be a very humbling experience if you've gone through something like that. I remember years ago when my father-in-law's house burned. My daughter was in high school at that particular time and played sports. And one of the sports teams that she played on, they took up a collection and brought it and gave it to my father-in-law and he just broke down in tears because he was humbled. He didn't need the money. He had insurance and he had all those things. But he saw that there were people that were doing something to help him. And sometimes when we realize that there are people out there that care about us, it is a humbling effect in our life. It has a humbling effect in our lives. And as members of the body of Christ, we certainly should understand that when someone is in need, someone is hurting, that we should be the ones that rally around those people and help them. 
It gives us an opportunity to let our light shine even more than it should be or has been in the past. We have an opportunity maybe to take food to help someone, to sit down and listen to them, their cares and their concerns. It gives us an opportunity that if we can financially help them, that we can do whatever we can to help in those situations. And I believe that we see this occurring quite often in our world today. Where people, when we look out there, sometimes we get so cynical when we look out there in the world and we see the troubles and the woes that are out there and the evil and the sin and all those things that we forget there are still good people out there in this world. And when bad things happen, sometimes we see the good rise up above the evil. That may be one of the reasons why early Christians rejoiced in their trials. They understood that tribulation could develop character. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, it says, Not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Brethren, do we glory in tribulation? When troubles come our way, do we look at it as an opportunity to shine? Or is it, woe me, why does this have to happen to me? Number three, suffering gives us an opportunity to silence the enemies of God. You might remember the story of Job. In that particular story, Satan wanted to prove God wrong about Job. Satan wanted to prove that Job was only faithful to God because God had blessed him tremendously. But as we see, when he lost everything, he lost his health and he lost his wealth and family and things of that nature. Even his wife said, curse God and die. We see all of that. His friends came and said, you had to have done something wrong. But through all of it, we see the patience of Job. <clears throat> and because of the patience of Job, we see that Satan was silenced. And brethren, that's exactly what God wants us to do. God desires that we silence foolish men. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 15, "...and so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men." What is it that foolish men say? Well, they ridicule us because we trust God, because we believe in God, because we're willing to sacrifice our life in service to Him. And they look at Christ as something that's foolish. We can't see Him. You can't see God. You can't see all these things. So why would you want to believe in something as silly as God? They say that we as Christians many times are only looking for the good that we can get out of it. Have you heard people say that religion is like a crutch? Have you heard people say negative things about Christians because they believe and trust God? Oh, I've heard it multiple times where they trust science and we're, we're just total idiots out here because we believe in God. I think most of us as Christians still believe in silence, but or in science, but we don't believe in foolish science. We believe in true science, but we also believe in God. 
And you hear the critics nowadays making fun of those who believe God, trust God, and preach God. And how sad it is. Because it gives us an opportunity though that when things go wrong in our lives, when we have trials, that we can silence those individuals because our faith becomes stronger. We patiently endure going through those difficult times of suffering and it gives us an opportunity to show the value of being a Christian. Brethren, I've done a lot of funerals. And I definitely, and I'm sure that most people in this room has been to enough funerals, will say the same thing. You can tell the difference in the Christian that dies and the person that's out there in the world that dies. The Christian has hope. I don't know about you, but as you listen to some of this stuff on TV that's taking place, I think there are people in our world that do not want us to have any hope. Dealing with this pandemic, anybody that says something that could be good, and I mean anybody, I'm not just talking about one particular person, I mean anybody, all of a sudden that gets shot down. There are people in this world that have no hope and they don't want anyone else to have any hope. Jesus Christ is that anchor. He's our hope. And we have hope in Him and that hope sustains us through good, through bad, through evil, through goodness. That anchor holds us. And it gives us an opportunity when things go wrong in our lives that we can shine and people can see that hope that we have. That there's something different about us. I remember years ago when Perry Cotham was here, had his heart attack and at St. Joe Hospital, you should have seen the reaction that people had by his positive statements and attitude that he had. They loved the guy. They never met the guy, but they loved him. I was there enough. I know how they reacted. It was that way in the emergency room. That was that way in the, in the room when he was there. They saw that he had hope. Brother, we have hope. And that hope helps us through these difficult times. And God is there with us. And so, it gives us an opportunity to silence those who are foolish men and women who do not believe in God, who do not believe in a Savior, who don't have a hope of eternal life because they made the wrong choice. Number four, suffering makes us appreciative. We all receive so many good things in this life that it's easy for us to become prone to take them for granted. I wonder how many people will appreciate worship service more so when everything gets back to normal than they did before. I wonder how many people will appreciate their brothers and sisters in Christ 
even more so. Things that we often took for granted. Things that we should have been grateful to God that we had. Suffering can help us appreciate more fully the good health that we have. The good friends and the loving family that we have. And all the other blessings that God has given us. That individual whose wife was in that accident, he realized that he couldn't lose her. How many of us have been in those kind of situations ourselves? Do we appreciate life more? Number five, suffering makes us more dependent upon God. Too often we think ourselves or think of ourselves as self-sufficient. We don't need anyone. And I think that sometimes we have that opinion of ourselves whether we realize it or not. That there are times in our lives that we are so self-sufficient we don't need anybody. Now we'll say, oh, I need God. But really, if we really dug down underneath the surface, how many of us really do think that we're self-sufficient? That man that I'm talking about and his wife... This is what he said. One of the dozen, when a dozen of the most skilled men in their profession tell you that they've done all that they can and that it is completely out of their hands, you suddenly realize how much you depend on God. People that have been in those situations understand that. And sometimes we say that we understand, but I'm not sure that we do. We need to understand that we aren't self-sufficient, that we need God. And at no other time in our lives do we realize that more so than when we are in trials and in tribulation. And we need to realize how dependent we are upon God for everything that we have. Listen to what Paul said at Mars Hill. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 28. What does he say about God? In Him we live, we move, and have our very being. Really. How many of us look at God as He's our everything? That without Him, we are nothing. Oh, there's a song in the book about that. But do we look at God that way? Number six. Suffering helps to purify us. What do you mean by that? Well, we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-7 through about being tried like fire that is precious. But what happens when you put that gold, uh, put, in, put gold in that fire to uh, try it? All the impurities come to the surface and it's purged. You get rid of it. It burns off. And then you end up with a pure gold that's there. And that's what's happening in our lives when we go through trials. We have an opportunity to get rid of the impurities. We want to, everything to be right in, in our relationship with God. If you have your Bible, turn over to James chapter 1. 
in James chapter 1 there, beginning in verse 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that it may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who giveth all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given to him. What's he telling us there? That there is a process that helps us to become stronger. It helps us to grow. It helps us to be more dependent upon God and to love that relationship that we have with Him. We need to realize that sometimes we're, we're, we're not as pure as we should be. And when you're going through a trial like this individual, let me tell you what he says. Many times I searched my own life during these past six weeks in order to confess my every failure and shortcoming to God. And then he tells us why. I surely did not want my own sins to stand in the way of God hearing my prayers for my wife. It was absolutely necessary to be truthful with God and myself, and I am a better man today than before. Have you ever been in that situation? Where you realize you were dependent upon God, but you didn't want anything in your life standing in the way of God hearing your prayers. It helps us to purify our lives. Number seven, suffering makes us sympathetic. Paul wrote of the value of affliction to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. In that passage of Scripture, he says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comfort us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. When we go through an ordeal, God helps us. He helps us so that we learn to help others. So that we can be there to comfort others during their difficult times. It helps us to be better able to comfort others when they have afflictions, when they are suffering. We may think that we can sympathize with someone. I've heard people say things like, uh, I know how you feel. And I've heard a lot of strange things that have said been said to people that were having difficulties in their lives, especially when someone passes away. The loved ones that are there, sometimes they have to hear some strange things that people say. I know how you feel. I know what you're going through. No, you don't. If you haven't experienced any of those kind of things, you don't know what it's like. And it's hard to sympathize in the right way. You can say those things, and I'm not saying that people are meaning bad things when they say those things. They just don't understand until they've gone through it themselves. And so we need to understand that we go through trials so that we can learn how to help other people in those trials. But until we've been there personally, there is no true understanding of the hurt. If you have never lost a loved one, it's hard to understand what someone else is going through. Experiencing suffering makes us more likely to weep with those that weep 
As Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, it better helps us, better enables us to serve others. Number eight, suffering teaches us how to pray. We all know how to pray. And all of us are praying people. We pray at the right times. We pray for the right things. We say it in the right manner. But in the midst of suffering, we learn how to pray. We learn how to pray. Oh yeah, we know how what to pray. We know, we know that we're supposed to pray. But we understand earnestly prayer. Earnestly praying to God when we're suffering. We understand perseverance. We don't just talk to God once about our problem. We repeatedly talk to God about our problem multiple times. We do it with groanings which can't be uttered as we read in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Sometimes we don't know what to ask God. Sometimes we don't know what to say. But yet we still want to talk to God because we know that He is the God of comfort, that He was there to help us and give us the strength to make it through. That His Word will guide us if we will allow it to do so. And sometimes we don't know how to ask. But yet we're earnest. And yet we're passionate. And yet we persevere. As our friend said, I have been praying, I've been a praying man since I became a Christian. But never like this. I've learned more about prayer in the past six weeks than in the previous 20 years. My prayers will be different for the rest of my life. Now, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I think that we understand that. We've all been in the assembly when someone's saying a prayer and they're hurting. Does that prayer sound different than their normal prayer that they pray? Yeah, it does. Why is that? I want to conclude with this thought. Can we, be, can we understand why God, a righteous and merciful God, would allow suffering even to the innocent? If we looked at suffering purely from man's point of view, we couldn't understand why it takes place. But remember what Isaiah said about God. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This earth that was prepared, that God created, was created for man to prepare in this life for the next life. This world was never intended to be our home, our final abode. Heaven was what God had planned. And as we've seen last week in the sermon, this earth, this world, the works that are therein are going to be burned up. And we look for a new heaven and a new earth. And when we look at the suffering from God's point of view, from the viewpoint of His plan, 
for us in preparation of eternity, then we can begin to appreciate why He would allow suffering to occur in this world and in our own lives. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Paul reminds us of God's never failing love. For he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are all killed, or we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brethren, sometimes it's too easy to find illustrations for a sermon. Suffering is everywhere. However, we're not alone in our suffering. Jesus Christ has entered into our suffering and into our situation and into our pain. And don't ever forget what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 when he says that we know all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are called according to His purpose. The good news is we don't have to go through this life alone. We don't have to go through this life alone when we suffer. God is there with us. But too many times people wait for a crisis in their life to try to develop a relationship with God. And we need to have that relationship with God now. And Jesus came to this earth and died an agonizing death on the cross so that you and I could have that relationship with our God where we can call Him our Father. And we can talk to Him in prayer and we know that He'll hear our prayers and that He will answer our prayers. And that we know that He is the God of comfort, that He will help us through these difficult times. And we can have that relationship knowing that when we sin, that the blood of Christ will continually cleanse us from our sins if we will confess it and acknowledge it before our Father in Heaven. We're so thankful for all the spiritual blessings that we receive only by being in Christ. And so the question is, are you in Christ? If you're not a Christian, then you don't have that relationship. You don't have that, that hope of eternal life. We look for a better place. That place is heaven. Now, you're not going to make it to heaven just because you want to go there. You make it to heaven because you're following what God wants you to do. And Jesus makes it very plain and simple when He says, go into all the world and preach the Gospel. The fact that Jesus died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He arose victorious over the grave, that is so important. Why? Because there is nothing else that can take away our sin except that sacrifice on the cross. That blood that was shed. And he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Jesus makes it very simple and very plain to understand. 
I don't know why the religious world confuses that and makes it so difficult. Because as I've said, if Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall shall receive a million dollars, I think everyone would understand exactly what they had to do to get that million dollars. That both belief and baptism would be essential to get that million dollars. Christ is offering us something that's far more valuable than a million dollars. That's eternal life. The question is, are you on that list? Are you in part of that plan? Have you obeyed that Gospel? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And have you been baptized? And if not, what are you waiting for? As Ananias said to Paul, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Baptism is what washes away our sin. Because it's through that act we come in contact with the blood of Christ and we come up out of that water a new creature. You don't see where you believe to be a new creature or you confess to be a new creature or you repent to be a new creature. But you see that when you do all of those things plus baptism, baptism is what ultimately washes away the sin and puts you in that right relationship with God. Are you in that right relationship? You don't have to suffer in this world alone. Well, Let me just say this. If we go to the day of judgment and we're unprepared, the suffering that we'll receive on that day is nothing like what we have here on this earth. It will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for eternity. You don't want that. If you need to respond this morning to the invitation, please do so while we stand and sing.